0: Sriracha Donuts, Cronuts, and Pro Tips on When to Get the Best Donuts. This week, it's all about donuts. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week on the show, we're talking donuts with filmmaker Alice Goo. Alice is the director of the engaging documentary The Donut King, which tells the story of the Cambodian donut shops that populate Southern California. Like me, Alice didn't know that so many of the donut shops in LA were owned by Cambodian immigrants, refugees of the war in Southeast Asia in the 70s. And when she dug deeper, she uncovered an amazing story which she made into The Donut King. Alice talks about her film and shares an incredible and shocking story that didn't make it into the movie. Plus, We talk buttermilk bars, Fruit Loops on donuts, the popularity of donuts on social media, and Hojo's. You can stream The Donut King on Hulu and Amazon Prime, as well as other streaming platforms. But first, if you're liking Destination Eat Drink, why not give us a five-star rating like Vitamin E03? They said... I love this podcast. It gives me little reminders, tastes, if you will, of places I have traveled, places where I want to travel, and places I didn't heretofore know I wanted to visit. It's so informative and a lovely distraction. Recommend highly. Thanks, Vitamin E03. Right now, though, I am starving for donuts, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Alice, thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. You made this fantastic movie called The Donut King. And I love this movie, but I want to start at the beginning because everyone loves donuts, right? (laughs) In your movie, in fact, you put a little screenshot up there that said 97% of the people love donuts. And I think that's definitely true. But not everyone decides to spend Months and years making a movie about donuts and donut shops and the people behind them. So, what exactly was the inspiration? Why did you want to tell this particular story?
1: I had this aha moment when I found out about the story. I am born and raised in Los Angeles, very familiar with the cornucopia of donut shops that we have in LA and Southern California. They are on every corner, if anybody um, is familiar. And Never really thought twice about them at all. And in uh, 2018, uh, I found out why. Um, I was looking online. It was actually a conversation spurred by my nanny. I had a new baby at the time. And we were talking about Cambodian donuts, or rather she was talking about Cambodian donuts. And I said, what are you talking about? Hmm. I, I've never had a Cambodian donut and uh, I know people can't see me, but I am Asian and I feel like I've had, I've eaten the whole gamut of Asian food. And I was like, how come I've never heard of a Cambodian donut? And she's going on and on. And long story short, a couple of days later, she says, I brought you and your husband, uh, a Cambodian donut. Hmm. I said, wonderful. You know, I've been, di- I've been trying to try I've been thinking about this for days. And she has a wax paper bag on our kitchen counter and I take it out, and the donut, Cambodian donut, you know, is it's round and it's shiny, it's fluffy, and it has a hole in the middle.
0: Looks like a donut.
1: My husband and I, we both take a bite, and it tastes just—I mean, it was delicious. But we said, "This is uh, this is a donut, not a Cambodian donut. This is just a donut." She said, "No, no, 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 it's a Cambodian donut." We're like, "Why?" And she said, "Because Cambodian people make it." Yeah, that doesn't make it a Cambodian donut. It's still a donut, American donut. And she says, no. And she's very insistent that it's a Cambodian donut and it's a separate thing. And the conversation for me, I was, I was like, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm right. And she said, well, look it up. And I said, I will, you know, and I right then and there, I looked up, uh, on Google, Cambodian donuts, Los Angeles, expecting to find nothing. And what came up was, tons of articles about Cambodian donuts. Uh, Ted Noy, the Donut King, the refugee turned donut mogul, Rags to Riches story. Uh, This was in like the LA Times 1982, LA Times 1995, California Sunday Mag. I mean, I, I read all of them. And it was this feeling, you know, all of my senses just kind of lit up. And I said, how did I not know this? Uh, it was the story of Ted Noy, a Cambodian immigrant in 1975. Everything that we know about donuts, at least in the United States, the very familiar pink box, um, that all comes from this one man, Ted Noy.
0: Near the beginning of this movie, Alice, you point out that there's all of these Cambodian donut shops and they're all independ- They're interlinked. I don't want to give away too much of the story, but they're all interlinked to this guy. He's kind of the center of the wheel. The spokes go out from Ted Noy, but they're all independently owned shops. And I've been going to Los Angeles 40 plus years and my brother lives in Los Angeles. So I go there. I try to go there fairly frequently. And until I watched your movie, it never occurred to me. That these were all that there were all these independent shops. I, I lived in the Northeast for years, and there's a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in the Northeast. You go to LA and it's not that. These are independently owned. Uh, they're they have their own names. It's not like you go and you see them all branded the same. They're they're all different.
1: They're all mishmashed and like they don't look particularly great. I mean they're just all these <laughs> little strip mall donut shops, right? <laughs>
0: And one thing I talk about on this podcast a lot is that one of the ways that immigrants can kind of get a foothold in America is by opening up a food shop, a restaurant or a donut shop in, in this case, because the barrier to entry is rather low, especially with the donut shop. And, and you talk about this a little bit in the movie. But let's talk about the central character, uh, Ted Noy. Um, he came from Cambodia Tell me a little, without giving away, again, without giving away the story, tell a little bit about this gentleman, Ted Noy, who came over from Cambodia in the 70s.
1: What attracted me to the story in the first place, you know, and, and the film, as you know, it, it unravels more than just a story about Ted Noy, but what attracted me to the story in the first place were these articles that I read. Again, this, the 1982 LA Times, 1995 LA Times story. His life... It was a roller coaster. It was Shakespearean in and of itself. Hmm. He was born. I was going
0: to say it was like an F. Scott Fitzgerald novel, but maybe Shakespearean yes. is even better.
1: <laughs> he was born dirt poor, um, a Chinese minority um, in Cambodia. And his mother, I mean, they lived, I mean, you name it, it was the dirt floors, not enough food to eat, no shoes, no schooling. And his mother worked hard and she said, This is our way out of poverty. I have one son. And I'm going to save up all my money, you know, pennies at a time and be able to send him to the best schools that I can afford. So she sends him to the schools and I mean, he goes from the schools, from these villages to falling in love. I'd say by high school, he falls in love with the most beautiful girl in school from the most wealthy and influential family. (laughs) And he marries, uh, her name was Sugantini. And he was in love with her. She smelled like flowers, is what he said. And uh, no, this actually wasn't in the film because um, there wasn't enough time to tell everything. So this is this will be new for you, Brent. Oh, good. Um, so in Asia at the time, in Cambodia, somebody from her class, a family of her stature, there's no way you could associate with somebody of Ted's stature. I mean, and if you were from you know that poor underclass your life is not even worth anything. I mean, her father could easily kill him and not, and, and that would be completely acceptable. Wow. And so they were in love and the parents, they found out and the father said, I will kill you. Mm. Ted said, um, okay, well, this is how we're not going to kill you. You have to tell my daughter that you are no good, that you're a good for nothing. And we are going to hide behind a curtain in the living room wow. while this happens so that we know that you really go through with it and then we're not going to kill you. So they hide behind the curtains. Ted comes in. Sugantini is there and he says, Sugantini, you know what? I'm a no good. I'm a dog. I never loved you. Uh, I have no feelings for you. I have lots of other girlfriends. I've just, uh, you know, you mean nothing to me. And he said that he saw her heart burst before his very eyes. and. She was just completely heartbroken and he couldn't take it. And he had gone, he had gone in with a knife hidden in his pocket. And he said, he couldn't go through it. He said, you know what? This is none of this is true. I love you. Your parents put me up to this. I would rather die than hurt you. And he stabs himself three times. What? I mean, it's wild. This is
0: Shakespearean then.
1: It is Shakespearean. And, she is so devastated and she like takes a bunch of pills and so she tries to kill herself. Oh, jeez. It ends up the parents finally, they said, Oh my God, we, what are we going to do with you guys? Okay. We'll let you be together, but you have shamed our family. You cannot remain in the city. You have to go to the countryside. I mean, so that alone, I was already <laughs> captivated, um, in the first, you know, few years of his life, but then it's the, the Khmer Rouge. This is a little history lesson. Um, the Khmer Rouge, took over Cambodia and there was a massive genocide and the people who could get out, could get out. And this included Ted and his family. And he came uh, to the United States, the one and only time in U S history where a U.S. president issues an executive order to, to receive refugees. Hmm. And he finds his way to on a military plane to Camp Pendleton, California. And within six months he trained, became a, Uh, manager of a donut shop and within three years of landing here in the United States became a millionaire. Uh, Pennies at a time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Selling donuts.
0: Think one donut at a time at, you know, whatever a donut cost in the 70s, 12 cents or whatever it happened to be. And I I just as you're telling that story, and as I'm watching the news as to what's going on now, I can't help but see parallels. Oh
1: my God! Between
0: Afghanistan and and the story that you're telling, and it just blows my mind. But what I wanted to ask you about, because Alice, I've spent uh, some time, some years. Uh, working with immigrants myself from all over the world. And one thing that I find, and you kind of, you hit on this in the movie really nicely, is that no matter where, where anybody's from, they all want the same thing. They all want the better life for the kids, but there's this push and pull, especially with families who start their own businesses because they work so hard Seven days a week, 365 days a year, the kids are often working in the stores with them so that they can save enough money to send the kid to college so they can become a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer and have a good, easier, wealthy life, happy life. But I think in the back of their minds, they're also hoping come back and be the, you know, take over the family business from us. Can you talk a little bit about how that works with the uh, Cambodian families and the donut shops?
1: Yes. Uh, so interestingly enough, as I was making the film, like when we were just deep in filming, and uh, there was an article that came out in the New York Times about the Chinese restaurants in Flushing, mm. and this was or in Queens, you know, this was exactly to your point that the restaurant business—it is not glamorous. It's hard work. Um, and it's service based, you know, and a lot of people treat you pretty crappy. And of course, they want their kids to be educated and go work at Facebook and Apple. <laughs> right. Um, or, or doctors, right? And so one by one, these restaurants in Flushing, they are, they're closing because they're products of their own success. The kids don't want to be doing that kind of work anymore. And that is certainly the case for these donut shops, you know, several of them. I said, Oh, what do your kids do? Do they work in the shop? And they're like, No, no, no. My kid works at Facebook. Right. <laughs> they don't want to do this. <laughs> they don't want to wake up at two in the morning and bake donuts and burn themselves in the hot oil and 40 pound bags of flour and on their feet for 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And that's also not why we came here. Um, at the same time, yes, there is that push pull. Um, come and help with the shop, come back and help us. Uh, And I've certainly seen both cases um, in the film. There was one that the parents, they had gotten tired and they wanted to retire. And their son who is college educated, had a degree in marketing and communications. Couldn't, he just couldn't bear to see the shop go. Mm. You know, he said, we'll sell the shop. And he's like, Oh, just, just give it to me. I'll take it over, <laughs> even though that was never his plan right and right. he he grew he grew up resenting that shop and grew up resenting uh-huh. having to be say the little child labor you know six years old and helping out at the shop because they don't have enough money for child care. All the kids are at the shop all the time um so you, you see a little bit of both and but what's really incredible is when these college educated kids do take over the shops, they really take them to another level that they're immigrant parents could not.
0: I mean there was that one and i the name is um, escaping me right now, but that one lady who took over the donut shop and she's like a social media wizard and she's you know <laughs> posting all this stuff and they're getting hundreds of likes and it's just really taken the donut shop into the twenty first century, right?
1: So that is May Tao, the donut princess. Ted <laughs> is her Ted is her great uncle. And the shop is DK's in Santa Monica. It's been open 40 years. It's never been closed, not even for a minute since they opened. Oh, wow. And it's a bit of a Santa Monica institution. There is Santa Monica College right there. All the high school kids go there. There are four hospitals near there. All the doctors, nurses, radiologists, bus drivers, teachers, Meryl Streep. I mean, they all, <laughs> they all go to that donut shop. And she is quite the social media. Maven. I mean, she took that store over again. She's also college educated and didn't really want to go to the shop. It was always plan B, but she rebranded and started from zero and built a following. I think they have like 88, 89,000 followers now. And what I just learned last week, which has been really fun since the Donut King is out on Hulu and it's on almost every major U.S. airline, air carrier. Oh, cool. So many people are watching movies on planes these days, and a couple international ones. She just shared with me, in DK's now, there's a little fan wall. So all these people from all over the world have come to take pictures with the princess and her mom. (laughs) Like, there are people who were like, I saw this movie on the way from Miami to Los Angeles, and... It blew my mind. I went straight from the airport to DK's.
0: That's going to be the place I'm going to go when I next time I'm in LA. I <laughs> definitely going to DK's and see if I can get my uh get my mug on the wall. Oh, um, fun. <laughs> let's uh let, let's talk donuts because um you know, when I was a kid growing up, There were basically a couple of different kinds of donuts. There was the cake donut, there was the yeast donut, and you get maybe a couple different flavors of frosting on them, a couple different kinds of flavors of jelly that they would get filled with. And if I was really, really lucky, my parents might buy me a cinnamon roll or a bear claw. Like that would be a really special day. (laughs) That's what it was like in the 70s. Now you go to these places and these donuts are like DKs. These donuts are a work of art. Any thoughts on like when and how this happened?
1: I think it actually started from Dunkin' Donuts. So there were like 10 flavors of donuts. And I had the privilege to speak with Bob Rosenberg, who is the son of the founder of Dunkin' and he was the CEO for 20, 30 years. And he took over and this was in Quincy, Massachusetts. And I actually don't remember this, but... Howard Johnson's. These mm-hmm. I, I knew them. I knew them as motels and lodges. Howard Johnson sold ice cream. Yes, and they had. This is before thirty one flavors, Baskin Robbins existed. Like they were the first ones to have all these different varieties.
0: This was a huge road trip place. Like these places would be in every town, and you'd beg your parents to stop and and get uh get hojos for you back in you know way back when, like when I was a little kid.
1: Hojo's! Yes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes. So yes. Okay. So the ice cream shops and and there was an ice cream. Uh, the Dunkin' was across the street, and he said, "Look, if they can have all these flavors of ice cream, we should oh. have fifty-two flavors of donuts—one for a different flavor for every week out of the year." There you go. So Bob Rosenberg really—that was his—that was his genius, and he's like, "We'll do pineapple." Phil-. He said it was endless, and it's still endless. I mean, there's endless. Fillings and toppings and wave, and especially now people want bacon and sriracha and all these different flavors. It's endless. So I really have to think, uh, the credit goes to Bob Rosenberg. And these modern day kids have really gone further than that. Galaxy donuts, Ube donuts, matcha, keto donuts. I mean, there's one, there's vegan, there's something for everybody.
0: What are some of your favorite flavors of donut? I mean, the thing is, the thing about this is people always say to me, oh, you do this podcast, um, you must go to all these wonderful different places and eat whatever you want. And it's true. You know, I (laughs) guess there's a lot of perks (laughs) to doing this, right? So you're making a movie about donuts. How many donuts did you eat? And what were some of your favorites that you tried along the way?
1: So I've had too many donuts to count, but... I have to say, I am uh, a bit old fashioned. I'm a bit old school. I like a good old glazed donut and I like a good old maple bar. I mean, those are the staples. I mean, they're my absolute favorites. However, in filming, there was a day that we had these buttermilk bars at DK's and we were filming in the evening. Um, this is a pro tip to anybody who's listening and is in Los Angeles or goes to Los Angeles. The buttermilk bars come out fresh around 9 PM. That's hmm. that is one that's one batch that's being made. And we were there filming at night. And Maylee, hmm. the donut princess, she offered me a donut and I'd had so many donuts. I, I was like, no, I'm I'm good. I, I mean it was it wasn't even a question of willpower. I just didn't want the donut that day. And she said, Well, you don't have to have the whole thing. She's like, I can quarter it and you can share it with your crew. Oh, you know what? I'll do that. I'll have a quarter. That means, you know, then I can, then I can try it. So this was my first time having a buttermilk bar within 30 seconds out of the fryer and within 35 seconds of getting glazed. It was an out of body experience. (laughs) I mean, I'm not even kidding. This is something that I didn't even want or even think that I wanted. I had no problem saying, no, I'm, I'm good. And then I went from that to like, I don't think I'm sharing this. (laughs) <laughs> <With> my <laughs> I'm going to eat the whole thing.
0: Quarter it screw that. I'm having the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You guys are on your own.
1: <laughs> it was so good. I mean, I I mean for my birthday, for my birthday, my editor who knows how much I I loved it, she had um 9 p.m. buttermilk bars Uber Eats. Oh, she wow. sent couriered over to me.
0: <laughs> That's true love. That oh man. That is really that's a great uh, birthday present. Um, and I don't even know if I know exactly what a maple bar is. I mean, I know um, we used to have maple glazed in uh, at Dunkin' Donuts, but what is a maple bar exactly?
1: A maple bar? Yeah, it's just a it's a regular old donut in a bar shape, but oh, just with the okay. maple on like top, like
0: an eclair, uh, long yes, elongated. Okay, exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Exactly. And then the buttermilk bar is this cakey. Uh, it's, it's dense and it's kind of crunchy on the outside. And when you get it fresh like that and, uh, it's, oh God, I think I might go tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, um, yeah, I haven't really felt the pull. I've been, I've been diligently working off the weight for the past year <laughs> since the movie was finished, but the pull of the, Of the fresh buttermilk bars is kind of calling to me right now, Um, and, and also have to say their cronut when it comes fresh out of the fryer and the glaze is also life changing.
0: So let's let's talk about the cronut because these food fads are really interesting to me, and the cronut just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden everybody and I think maybe part of it had to do with social media. Like this may have been a product of social media, one of the first real social media food fads. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering what, what your take was on the Cronut, because this was kind of happening um, while you were making the movie, wasn't it, Alice? Well,
1: the, the whole kind of scandal about it was happening before I was making the movie. There was uh, the originator, uh, Dominique Ancel, uh, out of New York, and he made this cronut. And God, I think it was all over Eater and all these different food blogs about this right, New York right. cronut. And mainly the donut princess one day, she a, we can make our version of that. <laughs> so she called it a DK, like D-cronut. And she made this half croissant, half donut. And her mom filled it with the special cream. And it was all over Eater. She, this was mainly. So she sent, she gifted some donuts to Thrillist. And by gifting those cronuts, D-cronuts to Thrillist, it was all over the news. It said the cronut has arrived in Los Angeles. Yeah. And the next day, they had lines out the door. And they said that the demand was working. They could not stop making cronuts for three years Wow. And it was nonstop demand 20 hours a day. Oh, they couldn't make them. They could not make them fast enough.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: And that really put them on the map.
0: The cronut. Um It's interesting to me because this is something that I talk about on the podcast, I write about on my website, is, you know, a lot of times it's tough to figure out where the origin is of a specific food. Because a lot of times we want to think in our minds, oh, this one person invented this. But a lot of times it's several different people coming together in different ways.
1: Well, he he did end up filing a cease and desist. He he was not happy about it. But... I mean, what's that old saying? Like, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, it just got them in the news more all right. the time. And people are like, Oh, I've got to try it. So it ended up, they could not call it the D. Cronut because it sounds too close to Cronut. So it, it is now called the O nut. Ah. So they couldn't patent the multiple layers of dough fried. Um, but they could, they could say that the name is from them.
0: Let you mentioned a couple of the interesting flavors. And I'm wondering if you have any others that you've thought of. Like I've seen in uh, the past few years, the uh, matcha um, flavor has gotten really popular in some spots. But I'm wondering what are some of the other uh, cool flavors? You mentioned sriracha. Any others that you ran across that either were like, oh, my God, this is revelatory or like not sure that one really worked?
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I mean, again, I'm, I think, a purist at heart. I really (laughs) like them. Plain and simple, but God, I've seen. Okay, let's see. Sriracha. There's certainly the all the different ones. with maple and bacon. There are. What is it like? Uh, Fruit Loops. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know all these different kind of cereal cereals on donuts. There are the Pride donuts that have like a rainbow licorice on top. Uh, I do believe mainly. I don't know if she was the first, but she's certainly known for the ube, that kind of Filipino purple. Tuber kind of thing. Oh,
0: right, right.
1: Um, that donut is quite popular. Um, red Velvet Cakes that came out and were very popular with cupcakes. Of course, that made it into Donut World as well. They're so, like strawberry shortcakes. There are to see what she's come up with recently.
0: Yeah, because they're always reinventing it um – you know, there was a time when I was a uh, for several years. I was a gelato maker, and that was my favorite part of making gelato. I, I used to say, "Okay, I'm going to go put on my mad scientist hat, and I would, you know, come up with these crazy flavors of uh, of different gelato." And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, let's let's be creative and see what we can do with this, and see what we can come up with today.
1: Well, I think what's also really funny too, since I spent time speaking with Bob Rosenberg of Duncan. I mean, Dunkin' is in, I wish I could tell you, actually, it's in so many countries around the world. And what's popular in Japan or Saudi Arabia or Malaysia, I mean, there's all these donuts that are fine-tuned to local flavors. I and mean, I think there's like a dried fish one in Japan or oh, something gosh. like a kimchi donut in in Korea. So, I think you can get really regional and, and local when you're going around the world, which I, um, since I've made the film, I have yet to go and have these, uh, kind of international Dunkin' Donuts. I, there were some donuts that I saw this recently in Nairobi, but they weren't particularly appetizing.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anything you want to (laughs) share or, or just, they, they just Um, didn't look good as regular donuts.
1: they, They did not look good as regular donuts. I think it was an attempt on making a, a fluffy donut, and just by visual glance, the the glaze and they looked um, they looked very dense and heavy. Gotcha. So I, yeah. I didn't think it worth my. It was it was a quick moment. I didn't think it. I was like, oh, should I? And I said, no, I'm good.
0: Pass. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pass.
0: Um Well, before we let you go, Alice, you're based in L.A. And like I said, I love going to L.A. for the for the food. I think sometimes L.A. A lot of people think of it as a, as a really good foodie city. I think of it as a great foodie city, but I think sometimes it gets overlooked because of all the other stuff that goes on in L.A., all the other stuff you can do and see. And um, so I'm just wondering uh, if someone goes out to L.A., where would you tell them to go? Where are some cool places to go? Doesn't have to be a donut shop, but it can be a donut shop or another place where, uh, where you like to go and have a nice meal or have some uh, cool dishes to eat.
1: Well, I'd say this one is what the first one that comes to mind is very, very, very off the beaten path. Um, it is truly a hole in the wall. and um but I love it. and I say I, I have been going there for over thirty years. it's It's in Torrance. It is a place called Sue's Kitchen. Mm. And if you like uh, you know braised beef noodle soup and dumplings and um, you know, scallion pancakes, it is so delicious. Um, so I'd say that is one of my favorites um for for a higher scale, you know, for a more uh upper crusty food. Um I'm a big fan of of Babel downtown, I think is tremendous. I love Felix or pasta in Venice. And just being on the west side where I am and sometimes it's just hard to get to Koreatown, my local is Waro Korean barbecue in Venice.
0: All good places. We'll have to check those out. And uh, I'm going to tell people to go to Hulu and Amazon Prime and watch The Donut King. I streamed this thing at home and I was just enchanted by the story, by the donuts, <laughs> by the <laughs> characters that you had in it, Alice. I, just, I love this movie. So um, we'll have a link to that in the show notes so that folks can go and watch the film for themselves because it really is a delightful movie.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. And thank you for watching the film and, and connecting with the story.
0: Okay, there you go. Alice's film, The Donut King, is available to stream on Hulu and Amazon, as well as other streaming platforms. I've got links to Alice's film, as well as links to the places she talked about in the show notes. You can get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED155. You know, talking to Alice got me thinking about my very first job. When I was 15 years old, I worked at the local Dunkin' Donuts in our town. Used to walk there uh, after school every day. And I got paid $2 an hour to mop floors and wash dishes. After a few months, I got a big raise to $2.25 an hour. But it was a great job because I was just a freshman in high school and All the girls who worked the counter at Dunkin' Donuts were juniors and seniors. I thought I was living large and pretty cool. That is until the day I accidentally dumped a half gallon of strawberry jam on my head and caused a fire in the donut fryer. Yep, super cool. Well, that'll do it for this week. Next week, Darlie Newman from the Travels with Darlie TV show will be my guest. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I've got a new post there that might be controversial. It's called Don't Travel Like a Local. It's not really controversial, I don't think. Maybe it is. But you can read it at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Head Donut Filler and a guy who's never dumped a tub of jelly on his head, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.